Hey, good morning. My name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm um, thankful that you guys got to sleep in an extra hour, maybe sleep off that uh, sugar coma from stealing all your kids' Halloween candy. I get it. I'm guilty, too. Hey, um, we're going to be in chapter 3 of Genesis, verses 8 through 13. I want to open, I want to invite you to open up your Bibles there with me this morning. This is going to be a fun morning, and um, I want to start by asking you guys a question. I want to ask you guys, what do you do when what you've done is wrong? It's nice to meet you too. My name's Chris, like I said. Let's take the relationship to like third date level, okay? I want to ask you, what do you do when you've blown it? What do you do when you've sinned? What do you do when what you've done is wrong? What do you do when your conscience is heavy? What do you do when you feel guilt? What do you do when you feel shame? What do you do when you know you've let your desires take you into an unhealthy place? What do you do when you know you took it too far in that relationship? What do you do when you know you looked at the website you told yourself you never would? What do you do when you know you drank too much? What do you do? What do you do when what you know, when you know is what you've done is wrong? This is a very real question for us to ask ourselves because we're going to find ourselves in that place at some point in our lives. Some of us this morning, we just came from that place. Some of us are headed to that place. Some of us are in that place right now. We are going to, on this side of eternity, continue to blow it and sin against the God that loves us. Okay? That's just the reality. So how we choose to respond to our sin is going to drastically impact our lives. The question we have to wrestle with this morning is what do we do when we know we've blown it? Do we run from God? Do we hide from God? Do we pretend that it didn't happen? Do we try to erase our web history? Do we try to pretend from our friends that everything's okay? Or do we run to God, confess our sin, ask for forgiveness, and experience his grace in a fresh way? This morning, we're going to pick up the story right after Adam and Eve, for the very first time, experienced sin. These are the first two human beings to ever walk this earth, and they are going to experience fear and shame and guilt and condemnation for the very first time in our text. And so when we look at their story today, we get to see our story. And one of the things that we're going to discover is our natural human instincts is to hide from God and hide our sin and hide from other people. That's what's natural to us. And that's exactly what Adam and Eve did even thousands of years ago. And we're going to understand by looking at their story why blaming other people for our issues is just our natural tendency. Why us coming before God saying, yeah, yeah, I realized I've blown it. I'm the problem. That's not our natural posture before a holy God. We see Adam and Eve hiding from God, blaming God, and blaming others for their issues. That's what we're going to discover in our text. But today's not all bad news. Because unlike Adam and Eve, we understand who Jesus Christ is. We understand what he's done for us. We understand that in Jesus, the guilty are covered by the work of the innocent one. We understand that Jesus is the one that takes the shame that we've earned and we deserve. We understand that Jesus has taken the condemnation that we deserve so that we can walk rightly before a holy God. Jesus changes everything. And I think we need to understand this message today. And we need to look at Genesis chapter 3 together because I just wonder how many of you guys in this room today, you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord, but you have a really fake, superficial relationship with God. Because every time you blow it and every time you mess up and every time you sin against your holy creator, you don't show your sin to God. You don't walk humbly before him. You just try to hide it, right? 
It's like the only thing you want God to see is the Facebook version of yourself. Look at the polished me. Look at the pretty me. Look at the Facebook appropriate me. But you don't want to allow God to see the real you. You're naked and afraid and ashamed and you're hiding. And you're not experiencing God. You're just playing church. And I want to just ask us this morning to be a people. What if our church would look different? What if our relationships with God could look different? You know, the kind of relationship with God I want is messy. Because that kind of relationship is worth having. Where I get to tell God the truth about me and be whoever I'm at in front of a holy God. And bring my stuff to the table and understand there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Man, that's the kind of relationship with God that's worth having. It's rich, it's intimate, it's personal, it's real. It's messy, yes. But man, it's worth something. So this morning, I want to make sure that every single one of us leaves this place saying, no, no, no. I don't want this superficial, fake version of Christianity. I want God. And I'm okay being messy in front of my creator because I want intimacy and realness over something that's pretend. Amen? Let's look at this text and see how this plays out. So Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. We're just going to walk through these verses. I have no big points. Um, There's no fill in the blanks. We're just going to read some verses, and then we're going to talk about them. So open up your Bibles. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. I'll read them together. Here's what it said. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, where are you? Where are you? Adam and Eve heard God's rumbling in garden and their best idea was let's find a bush and hide in it. You know something's gone wrong when that's your best idea. Before sin ever entered into the world, God would drop in on Adam and Eve and they would walk and they would talk and they would be in relationship and there was a sense of intimacy. And I picture when God would walk with them in the garden that Adam and Eve would go wherever they are and they would just run to God. They would want to be around God because this is the God that gave them the garden. This is the God that gave them marriage. This is the God that breathed life into them. This is the God that made them in his image. This is the God that would speak to them. This is the God that provided beauty. This is the God that provided resources. This is their Lord God, their Elohim Yahweh, personal covenantal God. They enjoyed God. There was no drama before sin. There was no anxiety before sin. There was no hiding before sin. But now all of a sudden, you've got two people dressed up in fig leaves hiding behind bushes, right? Something's gone wrong. Something's changed. These folks are not running to God. They're running from God. They're not walking openly before God, but they're hiding from him. And the tragic thing is, is this is not just something Adam and Eve once did. This is the same thing that we still do today. And I know this because I have a son named Paxton. He's three years old. And I like to talk about Paxton because it's easy to pick on his sin. And, um, <laughs> but when my son misbehaves, I say, hey, Paxton, listen, come here, come here, come here. Hey, we need to talk about why you just tr- chose to throw your chicken strip at my face, okay? Like, that's not okay. Let's have a little conversation about this. And so I say, come here, talk to daddy. And what do you think Paxton does? He runs, exactly. He goes into his bedroom, he runs, slams his door, gets under his covers and tries to hide. And my son is horrible at hiding. He always forgets to cover like his legs. And I'm like, dude, really? This is the strategy. This is, the, this is where we're going with this. And, uh, and so I walk in and I have the conversation. Um, but what's interesting though is, man, this is us. See, nobody had to teach my son Paxton how to hide. 
It was his natural response to feeling guilt and shame. When he knows he's guilty, his natural strategy is to hide. And that's us, right? And I just wonder, is this us trying to hide from our Abba Father under the covers? Because we don't want to deal with the guilt and the shame. We don't want to confront our Abba Father. So we'd rather hide from our creator. So let me ask you this. We're all guilty of hiding in this room. Can I just ask you, how are you hiding from God? What's your strategy? You want to leave church for a while, avoid praying, not pick up your Bible, not hang out with your Christian friends. How do you hide from God? How do you hide from other people? You wear a smile even though everything's broken inside. How are you hiding? What are you hiding? Can I ask you that? You hiding people from people, what you do on your phone, what you do with your paycheck, what you say behind other people's backs. What are you trying to hide from God? What are you trying to hide from others? What is it that we're hiding? Our natural response to sin, guilt, and shame is to hide. How are we doing that? But look at what God does here. He's not satisfied with the reality and with that Adam and Eve are hiding in the bushes. He looks at him and look at verse 9. Look at how he ends this thing. He says, where are you? Where are you? This is a beautiful picture of God. Adam's hiding in the darkness, and God is saying, where are you? Would you come? Would you step out of hiding? Would you step out of darkness? Would you return to right relationship? Where are you? What we see is this beautiful father calling his creation to be in right relationship with him. So I have to ask you, where are you? Where are you? Are you hiding behind the bushes? Are you living humbly and openly and honestly before the Lord? The Bible makes it very clear. We have two options. We can hide from God and pretend to be more than we are. We can run from him in our shame and our guilt. We can pretend that it didn't happen. We can try to cover it up and we can hang out in the bushes. Or we can be a people that say, no, 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 God. I'm going to walk honestly and openly before you. You are invited to be involved in every area of my life. I'm not going to tell you, look over here at all my good things and all my service and all my church involvement. But don't look over here because it's messy. We either be a people hiding or walking honestly before the Lord. And I know that um, some of you guys might say, no, 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 Chris, listen. I'm not a hider. I'm not hiding from God. Look at me, I'm at church. I go to city group. I'm on a serving team. You know me, we're Facebook friends. I'm not hiding from God. Let me just come at you real quick. Keep it real with you. Listen, don't put yourself as a person not hiding from God just because you're in a crowd. I have learned personally that it is very possible to be in a crowd and to be hiding from God and from other people. Right? We can fake it. We can say the right answers. We can be around a whole bunch of Christians but trying to avoid Jesus Christ. We can be around a whole bunch of godly people doing a whole bunch of godly things but want, want God to stay out of our business. It's very possible to use the church as a really pretty bush to hide in. It's possible. I've experienced it. And so City Light, I want to ask us, are we hiding? I also want to just say, City Light, do we understand that the gospel transforms and changes the what we do and how we respond to our sin? We don't have to fear God. We don't have to fear punishment and judgment. We don't have to hide ashamed of what we've done. Why? How do we move from hiding from a holy and righteous God? How do we stop being afraid of his condemnation? Well... The Bible says that the people of God, if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you no longer have to hide in a bush ashamed of what you do or what you've done. You get to hide in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. The New Testament term is literally that you're hidden in Christ. 
And this is amazing news because when the father looks at you, guess what he sees? He doesn't see your disobedience. He sees Christ's obedience. When the father looks at you, he doesn't see your impurity. He sees Christ's purity. He doesn't see your unfaithfulness. He sees Christ's faithfulness. He doesn't see your inability to love people. He sees the way that Jesus Christ loved people perfectly. When the father looks at you, he doesn't see all the ways that you broke the rules. He sees all the ways that Jesus kept the rules perfectly. He doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see your shame, but he sees the perfect righteousness of Christ Jesus. Christian, the hope for you and I isn't that we can crawl from outside of the bush and talk our way out of the problem. Our hope is that we'll call on the one that we're hidden in, whose perfection is enough for all of us. You see that? Man, the gospel transforms what we do with our sin. So can I ask you, are you living with a freedom to come before God and say, God, I'm weak, I'm broken, I need your grace even in this moment, or are you settling for some really superficial fake relationship with God? Where you're saying, God, don't see my insecurity, don't see my anger, don't see my addiction, don't see my brokenness, just see a little bit of the things that I'm doing for you. What are we doing? I want to say, if you're waiting to move towards God until you're really awesome, you're going to have to wait until you get to heaven. Because on this side of eternity, all we're going to do is walk around as broken, messy people. Can we just keep it very real? We're going to blow it. And so to do business with God, we need to be willing to come to him as we are. I want us to be a people that don't fake it, but simply say, God, I'm a guy, I'm a guy that needs your grace. I'm a, God that ne- I'm a guy that needs to believe that your grace is sufficient for me even now. That, God, you are enough for me even now. That my hope is in you, and that's okay, because, God, I want to come out of hiding so bad, but I don't know if I believe that the gospel is enough. I understand that wrestle is real, but I'm saying, man, the word of God is true, and it's real, and he's saying, listen, you are hidden in Christ, Christian. You can come out of hiding. Now, see, like, here's what I want for us. Um, I want us to be a people that do business with God. I want us to be a people who confess our sin. I want us to be a people who stop hiding in the darkness and walk in the light of the gospel. I want us to be a people who don't simply run from God, but run to God. I want us to be a people who keep short accounts with God. Listen, all of us in this room are going to continue to blow it. But you want to know what Christian maturity is? Christian maturity is it not just like living a perfect little life where you never mess up. Christian maturity is how do you respond to your sin? Do you run towards Christ? Do you ask for forgiveness? And I think this matters because if we're a people that don't do this, we're going to have a really shallow interaction with God. We're going to say, God, we needed you to get us in, right? We, we trusted your grace, but the last time I experienced grace was when I received Jesus. And the Christian life isn't to be lived like that. Christian life is where we're daily, ongoing, experience the grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ because we see that we need to be on the receiving end of his grace. Amen? And can I just say, people know the difference. Have you ever got around Christians and you just get the, the feeling... I mean, they understand who Jesus is, but they're not experiencing his radical and profound love for them. I mean, people know the difference. I want people to come into this place and say, man, these people are weak and broken, but boy, do they love Jesus. Because Jesus is the one that they're hoping in. Jesus is the one that they're trusting in. Jesus is the one that's covering their unrighteousness. Amen? The good news of the gospel is all of us are going to be found guilty, but the innocent one, Jesus Christ, has come to cover our guilt and our shame. It's amazing. We can come out of hiding. Now, the first thing we see is that Adam hid from God. Adam hid from God. But I also want to show you the sin, how sin affected Adam. Uh, Sin in Adam's life is going to make him really inward focused, focused on me, 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 me. So let me show you this in verse 10 and 11. Please read with me. He says this. 
And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, but I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I have commanded you not to eat? Not to eat. And so the first thing I want to show you is just God in this verse. God is amazing. He's like this tremendous, gracious father who's, again, just asking questions. No, 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 come, come. Let me ask you about it. He's not accusing Adam of sin. He's not rushing into the garden frustrated and angry with him. He's just asking questions. And if you're a good parent on your best days, you've interacted with your kids this way. You've said, son, how did our, how did little sister get red marker on her face? You know, he's got the marker right there. I don't know. I don't know how it happened. You know, you're just asking the question. You're trying to help your kids self-discover that something's gone wrong and it's probably gone wrong with them. Right. And so this is our loving father here. He's asking Adam these questions to help him diagnose and see that, man, there's something that's changed. There's a problem here. But Adam's response is less than impressive. Notice that Adam's only confession here is that he, um, he's got a new feeling in his life. See, what Adam is doing is he's really concerned with himself. And apart from Jesus, this is me and you. It's all about our worlds, our feelings, our wants, our frustrations. So let me show you how this plays out. He says, look at what he does. He says, I was afraid. When God asks him a question, he says, I was afraid. I was fearful. So I was, felt naked and so I hid from you. What's his confession before a holy God? God, there's a feeling in me that, that I don't know if I'm real comfortable with right now. I'm afraid of you. Where did that come from? You know, what he's not saying is God against you and only you have I sinned. I have committed treason and rebellion against you, my holy creator and maker. All he's doing is saying, man, I feel these effects of sin and I don't know if I like it. Do you see how the focus isn't on God or Eve or others? It's all about him. He's got this new feeling in his life and he doesn't like it. You know how this plays out in our life, Christians? When we sin, we feel guilty and ashamed. We feel dirty, right? And the question is, is, Are we so obsessed when we sin with the effects of our sin, or are we actually realizing that we've actually sinned against a holy God? What he's doing here is he's saying, I want to ask us here, are we more frustrated with the fact that when we sin, we feel unclean and undirty? Are we disappointed in ourselves? Are we angry with ourselves? Are we frustrated because now all of a sudden we we sinned and it messed up our relationships with our boyfriend or our girlfriend? or messed up our relationship with a coworker, or messed up a relationship with a professor, all of a sudden sin messed stuff up and we're frustrated with the mess that it created, or are we frustrated with the reality that we sinned against a holy God? See, there's a difference. We need to ask ourselves, God, am I really angry that I sinned against you or I'm just really angry that it messed my life up? You see the difference in that? There's a difference. See, the natural fleshly man doesn't mind sin because he sinned against God. He frustrated with sin because it makes a mess in his life. He doesn't like the consequences of sin. He doesn't mind sin. He just doesn't like the consequences. But I'm saying, man, I think what Jesus wants to do is orient our hearts towards him so that the biggest prayer in our life isn't, God, would you come put out the fire and fix the mess? But but would we be a people who love and adore and delight in our relationship with God where we wouldn't trade intimacy with him for sin? Where we would say, no, no, God, what I really want isn't just the mess to go away, but I want you. Amen? We need Jesus to orient our hearts rightly back towards him and others and away from our sinful selves. Now, let me read how verse 11 ends. It ends with a very piercing question. He says this, have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Now, this is a pretty straightforward question, right? I mean, this is a pretty easy question to be honest with. But again, Adam is going to resist confessing his sin and disobedience to God, and he's just going to 
talk himself and accuse God of some, some stuff. So look at me, look with me at um, Genesis chapter 3, 12 and 13. Here's what he says. The man said to the woman, the man said, I'm sorry, the man said, the woman who you gave to me to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. Listen, this is what you call a hot mess. A hot, hot mess. Adam is blaming God and Eve for his sin. Eve is blaming the serpent for her, his, her sin. No one's taking responsibility. Everybody's guilty, but everybody's pointing their finger saying, it's their fault, it's their fault, it's their fault. Nobody is owning what has been done. And please, can we just notice Adam's tone with God here? He says this, the man said, the man said, the woman who you gave to me to be with me, well, she, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate it. Do you know what he's saying? Here's the problem, God. I was doing awesome as a bachelor. Then you decided, give me this woman, and what did she do? Messed it all up for everybody, you know? You know what? I'm the victim here because you're a bad father and a bad gift giver. If you wouldn't have given me her, we would be just fine, you see? He's accusing God all of a sudden. This is your problem, God, not mine. You're the one that did this. I was cool, right? Look how far he's drifted. Just a few verses ago, he's like, oh, God, thank you for this woman. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Now he's saying, really, God, you gave me her? You messed up. This one, what am I going to do with this, you know? See the issue? What's amazing, let me just theologically geek out here. Um, Just a few verses before this, do you guys remember Satan's strategy? What did he do? He accused God of not giving him enough, right? He said, did God really tell you not to eat of that tree? Wow, how could he not do that for you? How could he restrict you like that? You know, God is a bad gift giver. He doesn't want your best. Look what he's not giving you, right? Satan accused God of not giving Adam and Eve enough. Now Adam is accusing God of giving him too much. You see that? God, you shouldn't have given me this woman. This is too much. This is the wrong one. You're a bad gift giver. And then what he does is just absolutely destroy his marriage. Do you know that from this moment on, Adam and Eve were married 900 years? I cannot imagine the marriage. I really cannot, cannot imagine it. (laughs) Because look what he does. He says, you know, you gave me this woman, and she's the one that gave me the fruit. I don't know what to do, you know? I mean, she's the one that handed it. She got deceived. She, she listened to the serpent, handed, she started eating the fruit, handed it to me. I said, don't do it, but I kind of did it. And then, you know, and so now we're in a messy situation, right? He doesn't take any ownership. He doesn't say, I was passive, I was quiet, I should have taken spiritual leadership, I should have protected my family. None of that. He just says, man, I'm sorry, she's a hot mess, I don't know what to do, you know? Look what he's doing. He's putting all of the blame on Eve. Man, men, don't do this. It's nobody's dream to be married to somebody who just blames the other person for everything. Amen? Women's, women are not looking like, man, if I could just find a guy that would throw me under the bus every time, that is just the man that I want to father my children. I just, you know, nobody, nobody's doing that. This is like bad marriage 101. But listen, blame shifting is not just a thing that adam and eve struggled with this is if we can zoom out of our text and just look at our society isn't this what our society does isn't this what our world does let me just talk about sports what happens they lose the game whose fault is it how'd you lose the game what's the coach going to say well the media 
you guys were distracting us. The last coach didn't recruit the right players and put the right, you know, so I got to uncoach the, the kids because they got the wrong kids and they've been coached wrong, so I got to bring them up, right? Players didn't lay it out on the field today. I don't know what to do. I coached them up, put the right strategy in the plan. They just didn't execute. What did the players say? You know, I would have scored a touchdown if coach would have called my play. Coach's fault, right? It's not his fault, not the player's fault. What happens in business? What do we do? You're a CEO, on the board of directors, company's not going in the right direction. Whose fault is it? Well, can't help but the market changed. You know, what am I going to do? Who knew there would have been a corn shortage? I don't know, you know? Somebody else's fault, right? I can't help it that our employees didn't give me 100% this quarter. You're lagging. Kick it up the pace. What happens if you're an employee? I would be more awesome if my boss didn't stink, right? Somebody else's fault. I could be more productive. You got me doing all these emails. It's somebody else's fault, right? What happens? Every arena of life, politically, who's raising their hand saying, this is my problem? Oh, no, it's their fault. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe they did that. What a horrible idea. Who would think like that? What do we do in marriage? It's not my fault. Spouse is jacked up. I'm not taking one for the team here. Uh Uh-uh, no, sir. You know, she got wounds and stuff. I don't know what happened to her, right? Somebody else's fault. What do the kids say? Not my fault, Dad. Sorry I stole the truck. Should have been a better dad, you know? I mean, it's somebody else's fault, right? It's a faultless society. Everybody's blaming, passing the buck, right? And I know this is the song that the world sings because I've sung it too. You know, a couple years ago, I had this really brilliant idea that we were going to take, I was going to take my wife to marriage counseling. You guys know where this is going. And I was so excited because I really wanted the counselor to just help my wife realize what an absolute joy she has to be married to me. I just thought, you know, I know some verses. I'm a pastor. Oh, I, I'm going to just, I'm going to show, I'm going to, you know what? She's going to walk out of this marriage counseling session realizing what a tremendous husband she has. And that the vast majority of our problems in marriage, they're just tied to her inability to recognize how awesome I am. That's, that's what's going to happen, Right? It's funny how it went down. It really is. So we go in there, and I have a conversation with this counselor, and we start asking questions, and I realize, man, our issues in our marriage aren't tied to our busy calendar or our season of life or even my spouse. The problem in my marriage is me. It was my selfishness, my passivity, my workaholic tendencies, my fear of failure that was dragging my wife along into just a a driven lifestyle. The problem was me. And it was so interesting walking out of there. My wife felt so great about herself. She was like, let's go get ice cream. I was like, leave me alone. Let me sit in the basement for a while. (laughs) We should go on a date night. No, really. We just take a minute right now because there's some stuff going on in here that's just not feeling real good. I'm crying, okay? And so it's so cool, by the way, that we get to have this kind of a relationship where you laugh at my pain. This is really neat. I'd love to see you come up here next week. This is going to be great, okay? Thank you. Everybody's feeling like, at least I'm not a bad husband like Chris. Um... (laughs) This is awesome. But again, everybody here is passing the blame. So can I just ask you, how do you respond to your sin? Who do you blame? Whose fault is it? Do you own it? Do you ask Jesus Christ to empower you to move past it? Because the easy thing in our Christian life is to do is say, you know what? The problem isn't me. It's my wife. The problem isn't me. It's my husband. The problem isn't me. It's my roommate or my parents or my professor. 
The reason I can't find joy is because I'm married to the wrong guy. The reason I can't find contentment is because I live next to the the wrong person. I live in the wrong neighborhood, and they have too much, and it makes me envious and jealous. The reason I'm angry is because I work for a jerk. The problem isn't me. The problem is I need a new job and a new neighbor and a new spouse and a new neighborhood, some new friends. That's what I really need. Then all my problems would go away, but we know that's a lie. You move to a new neighborhood, you're going to have the same discontentment issues. Get a new job, still going to hate your boss, right? Jump into a new relationship with somebody else. It's not going to solve the problem in here. You can't escape you. We got to stop passing the buck. The problem is evil isn't out there any longer. Evil isn't here. And that's what Adam wasn't getting. Problem's not God. Problem's not his wife. The problem was him. City Light, I just want to also just point us back at this point to Jesus Christ, the hero of the story. Because Jesus is totally different than every single one of us in this room. All of us naturally came into this world blaming God and blaming other people for all the drama in our life. But I want to tell you, the one person in all of the universe and all of humanity that didn't blame anybody but took the blame for all of us, his name is Jesus Christ. He took the blame. The one person, all of us in this room, we are riddled with shame and guilt constantly. We feel it. We experience it because we're broken by our sin. But let me just tell you, there's one that was shameless that came to take our shame away, and his name is Jesus Christ. See, where Adam disobeyed, Jesus obeyed perfectly. He's the hero of the story. Christian, I want to let you know, Jesus came not just to forgive you for your sin, but put to an end, once and for all, the blame shifting and the hiding. Today, you can crawl out from outside of that bush that you've been hiding in and actually walk with God and experience the light and the presence of your creator. Is that not good news? That we don't have to be naked and ashamed, but that Jesus Christ has covered us with his perfect righteousness. Oh, That's good news, Christians. Would we live in that? I want to end with three things. First thing I want to say is I want to ask you, does anybody know about your sin? Does anybody know about your addiction, what you've been doing on your phone, the person you've been texting, that thing that you've been doing, whatever it is, the way you've been slandering, your anger, your hurt, your frustration. Does anybody know about your sin? Because if nobody knows about your sin, you're probably hiding from God and you're probably hiding from other people. You know, the Bible says, don't just confess your sin to God, but confess it to one another. Why? So that you can experience the forgiveness that you have in Christ. So Christian, I want you to know, Satan would want nothing more for you to do this week than to remain in hiding so you can get beat up by condemnation, shame, and guilt. Stay there, isolated, apart from God and his grace, and you are going to get beat down. But Jesus wants nothing more than to empower you to start to walk in the light, to be known by him and known by others. So this week, here's my invitation. Would you pick up the phone? Would you call a friend? Would you tell your wife or your spouse what's going on? Would you hang out with a city group member and talk to them about the things that you're going through? Would you let people into the messy, broken parts of your life? Would you stop settling for a counterfeit faith that's superficial and fake? Would we have people that actually experience the gospel and its freedom to be weak? Would we do that this week? Secondarily, I want us to take one look at our sin today and 10 looks at Jesus Christ. You know, Genesis chapter three is all about the fall of man. It's all about us blowing it. But have you ever opened up your Bibles? The rest of the chapters are about God coming to rescue sinners. It's about his rescue plan. It's about the redemption we have in Jesus Christ. 
It's about how God has chosen to work himself and say, where are you? I know that you're broken. I know that you're not going to be able to work your way to me. So I'm going to come to you. That's what the rest of the Bible's about. So Christian, this week, when you feel the experience, you start to experience guilt and shame, take one look at your sh- sin, your sin, not shiz sin. I don't know what that was. I need to go back to counseling a little bit. I'm going to have to, you know what, is Gavin here? Matter of fact, can we cut that? Anyways, we'll cut that out. Well, Jesus, you are sufficient for me even now. All of you will be at a different church. This will be great. Um, Take one look at your sin. Take a lot of looks at Jesus Christ, the one that's paid the price for your sin. How do you get back on track from that? Last thing I want to say is I want us to be a people that experience gospel freedom. Not saying it's okay to cuss on stage, but just gospel freedom. Then every arena of our church, whether it be a Sunday morning or a city group, that we would be preaching the gospel to each other. Can we do that? Not give each other good advice, but just speak good news to people. Listen, I get that you've blown it, but man, you're forgiven and God loves you. He's unconditionally committed from you. That he's thrown your sin as far as the east is to the west. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Could we be people that just preach the gospel to each other? Speak good news to each other. Last thing I just want to say is when you get around your city group, can we just... Let's just be people that experience this gospel freedom. You know what's going to happen? If you actually come clean in an appropriate place and space with some folks, everybody's going to breathe a sigh of relief. You too, you got issues, your marriage is messy, you struggle with your working relationships, you struggle with your finances, you haven't been tithing, me either. I'm struggling with all of it, right? Everybody's going to breathe a sigh of relief because you're jacked up just like they are. And we're finally done pretending and hiding. By confessing your sin, you liberate other people to experience the same gospel freedom that you are. So don't hide the messy. Invite people into the messy. Boast in how weak you are so that Christ gets the glory. Amen? Let's be a church that doesn't run from God but runs to him. That doesn't pretend like everything's okay but just rests on the finished work of our perfect Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me pray. So God, I want to say thank you for today. Jesus, I look at the word of God. I see Adam... He was the one that sinned and disobeyed. And then I look at Jesus and you are the one that was perfect in every way. You are the greater Adam that has come to liberate us from hiding and pretending from blame shifting. And so God, even right now, I just want to welcome your spirit in this room that not one of us would leave this place today hiding from you, pretending that everything's okay, blaming somebody else for our sin. Oh God, would we be a people that walk humbly before you and experience your grace Thank you for being patient. Thank you for being sufficient. Thank you for being good. Thank you, God, that Jesus Christ and all of his perfection covers our imperfection, that the innocent one has chosen to die for the guilty. Oh, God, we praise you. We magnify you. We rest in you. We acknowledge you. We welcome you. Call our hearts out of hiding today that we would no longer be like kids naked and ashamed, but we would be able to stand before your presence knowing that Christ, you cover us perfectly. We rest in you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Amen.